Hey guys, long time no podcast. I know it's been a while and I'm sorry for that. Things have just been very hectic in my life and there's been a lot of positive changes and then some not so positive ones. But anyways, this episode is going to be a little different than my previous ones in that it's going to be slightly less about the horses and more about mental health stuff because I think that's a very important topic. And at least in my experience, it's something that I wasn't able to appropriately deal with as soon as I probably should have. So I wanted to talk a little bit about my journey with that and some recent things that I found out about myself and how I kind of got to the point of getting there Um, because I think it's really important and I wish I had known sooner because I just really had a lack of awareness of how mental illnesses displayed themselves even when I addressed the fact that I may have them. So before I go into that, I just want to talk about the importance of like being honest with yourself and trying to level with like if your habits are normal or um if you're neurotypical or not because for the longest time like I was having several naps a day and I'd always wake up tired I could sleep for literally 12 hours and I'd still wake up tired and I thought that was normal I thought, like, if anything, like, maybe I was iron deficient, maybe I had a chronic, like, fatigue syndrome, which is very, very unlikely because it's only, like, a small percentage of the population that has it. But anyways, that's kind of what I thought it was. I never really addressed the fact that my fatigue could be due due to depression, and I've been on so many different medications since high school that I kind of just lost hope in them working, so I would go on a medication for x amount of time usually like i'm between any anywhere between a month and three months because with most antidepressant or anti-anxiety drugs you have to take them for at least like two to three weeks before they actually start working um and if it didn't really change anything i would just stop taking it and then i stopped even wanting to go and try new medications because i just thought that it wasn't working for me and that clearly that wasn't my issue and it wasn't helping me at all and this is like been like over a decade now of like kind of doing this chase trying to figure out medication that works for me and so more recently I started doing my own research online because I was realizing how much it was affecting my work and it was making my job less enjoyable I was too tired to go out to the barn I'd stay in bed a lot I couldn't really ride my own horses very much because It was just such a hassle to get up and out there and it took all of my energy out. Like I'd get home at like four or five and I'd still have time to ride my horses, but I would crash and just nap and just sit there and not do anything. And it was really affecting my ability to get stuff done. So I started looking online and I read into like all sorts of different medications and mental health problems and I learned a lot. I called the Langley Mental Health Clinic, which is a free clinic specifically for like addiction treatment, um, depression, anxiety, and all sorts of mental health issues. And they did like an over the phone interview asking me a ton of questions about myself, like what medications I've been on and blah, 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 blah. And then eventually I got an appointment with a psychiatrist. This has been something that I've wanted to do for a while actually, but Generally speaking, if you can't get it subsidized by a clinic like like the mental health clinic we have here, psychiatrist appointments are very expensive and you need to get referred. So I was just going to general practitioners and 
they were all kind of just putting me on different medications without really like listening or helping like all of my appointments with the gps were like 15 minutes long and they never really got to the bottom of it like initially like the depression and anxiety diagnosis has been something that's been for like years but in the past year they thought that i had ocd and they were treating me for that because i have obsessive tendencies and the medication didn't work for me. I was on Zoloft. It did not work for me. I would like literally wake up and I'd feel like I was going to throw up and like I couldn't keep the pill down. Um, it was a big thing. So I had to go off of that. But anyway, so I got the appointment with a psychiatrist. This is in January and got like a general evaluation. And then they started me on Wellbutrin, which is an antidepressant that also is used for ADHD treatment. Um, and the doctor kind of pre-diagnosed me with ADHD and I would later have to come in for another follow-up evaluation and then again an ADHD testing and we'll get there. So anyways, I was very excited about the psychiatrist appointment. It finally had given me like a light at the end of the tunnel and I had some hope that my life might change and I was feeling better about things because at least I had something to try. So I go to the doctor, he asked me a bunch of questions about myself and Instead of the OCD diagnosis, he said that it sounds like it's likely that I have ADHD and I could come back for an ADHD evaluation because he was the only psychiatrist at this clinic that was cleared to do these evaluations. And for those of you who don't know, a lot of the ADHD drugs are actually sold illegally to people for prescription medication. Like I, I know a lot of people who got into like the whole drug scene that would use Adderall and stuff during school so that they could study better. And it is a very highly addictive drug and the other ADHD ADHD drugs are highly addictive and it can be something that people want to try because it does help you focus better and for people who don't have ADHD from what I've heard the amount that it, that it helps you focus is significantly more so there's a pull for people to try it even though it's definitely not a good idea whatsoever so anyways they're very careful with how they prescribe these drugs because a lot of people sell them and people will try to get false diagnoses just to get the drug either for themselves or to sell to other people and in my area in specific in the lower mainland of british columbia like near vancouver we have a huge addiction crisis, mostly with opiates, but there's still it's still a, a big problem. It's pretty significant. So anyways, I had to go back in for my ADHD evaluation. I did more research. I talked to people online about it. And basically everything that I read, I was like, I know I had this. Like this is just just sounds like what I've been struggling with my whole life and it's been stuff that I never addressed like I never talked to people about it because I just assumed everyone was going through the same thing I was or that maybe like I was just more disorganized less focused more stupid I couldn't study as well as other people I couldn't do this couldn't do that and I was just like okay well like maybe I'm just an idiot and I was just like okay like I guess everyone's just better than me at that and that's kind of the way it's gone for years so the step for the ADHD evaluation was that the psychiatrist wanted me to bring my mom in because there's a strong familial link for ADHD. Like it has an 80% heritability rate from your parents, which I did not know. So anyways, I had to bring her in and then we had to go get all of my old school records, which luckily we had like the entire file. And going through those records was very telling. And there is a lot of signs there that we just ignored because we didn't know better. Like all of my report cards for like the last two decades basically they all had a comment about like disorganization lack of focus 
can't sit still doing this, doing that, every single one, even into high school, lack of disorganization, always late, blah, blah, blah. And obviously these links are pretty telling for ADHD if you've looked it up and know what they are. So anyways, we brought those in. The psychiatrist interviewed my mom without me in the room. And then while he was doing that and looking at the report cards, I was filling out an ADHD evaluation, which honestly the highest mark I've gotten on a test in quite some time. I checked off basically everything it asked. So yeah, I aced it anyways. Um, so we brought that in. And by the time I brought the evaluation in after he'd been done talking to my mom and reviewing my report cards, he said he didn't think he even really needed the evaluation to diagnose me with ADHD because from what my mom told him and the information she gave him about herself as a child and her grandma, that it sounds like there is ADHD in the family. And with my report cards and all that and the previous history, he said it definitively sounds like ADHD. Even still, he looked at the evaluation, read it, and diagnosed me and has since put me on Adderall. And then I'm also still on the Wellbutrin for my depression because it's really helped with my energy level and just making it easier to get up in the mornings. I haven't been napping at all, big change there. And I've just been feeling more motivated and happy to go do what I need to do and go to work. So I'm on both of those now. And the point in me sharing all this is because it took me kind of doing a lot of my own research to try and diagnose myself. And it took me wanting to seek that help to go look into it and realizing that I was different from other people. Um, Traditionally, how like disorders like anxiety, depression and ADHD are portrayed in the media it, they, they portray them with the most extreme forms. Like I never would have guessed I had ADHD initially because I could sit still and I wasn't like bouncing off the walls as a child. It would just be like fidgeting, like tapping my foot, playing with a pencil, like little things like that where I'm just always kind of doing something to keep moving. Um, and I never really realized that the signs could be more subtle. And since I never really struggled with school in that, like I got decent grades and it never really took a big hit on my marks because I was fairly high functioning and I like school wasn't super hard for me other than like math stuff. So I kind of struggled my way through it and I thought that my study habits were more in relation with me being lazy or this or that and my friends just being better at studying. But now looking at it, I realize (laughs) that my study habits have to do with like the hyper focusing aspect of ADHD. Like for example, all through university and high school, if I studied, it would literally be the night before the test and I'd sit down for like two hours, study. And then sit down for the test the next day and do it that way. I never studied for days in advance and I couldn't study for more than like 15 to 20 minutes without doing a break, even if that break was like 30 seconds. And then for university projects and high school projects and papers, what I would do is I would leave it until the last minute and then I'd sit down for however long it took to write the entire paper in one go and then just be done like I couldn't do it in pieces where I would start the paper and not finish it if that makes sense if I started the paper I would have to finish it and this is similar with my YouTube videos for those of you who don't know when I edit my YouTube videos I do it all in one day pretty much always if I start editing them I can't stop I just have to finish it and it's the same thing with like editing photos or doing like like blog posts anything I do them basically all in one day um And if I don't, like if I start writing something or start editing something and don't finish it that day, usually I scrap it and restart it and then 
do the whole thing in one day. And obviously these are like all signs of what has been going on with me that I have ignored. And had I figured this out sooner, it could have made things a lot easier for me because I never realized that like more people, like most people have more quiet in their heads and they're able to focus more. They don't interrupt people when they're talking because they can't wait for people to like finish what they say and like finish people's sentences. Um, all that stuff. So it's just stuff that I thought was normal and that like everyone experienced because I never brought it up to people and it's not. So I'm very happy that I went to the psychiatrist and found this out because since I started taking the medication, there has been some pretty significant changes, even though I haven't been on either medication for that long. So I'm hoping they continue to work like this and continue to work for me because my level of fatigue prior and just my motivation to do stuff was not good. Um, It was making life like way harder to do the easiest things and I just, it wasn't working for me. So going to the psychiatrist was like a huge huge change in my life and I'm really happy that I did it and I know that Jill has done something similar to this and she's had a very similar experience and she's also done a podcast on it and like some YouTube videos so there's like a lot of people going through this and I have a theory that social media a lot of people with disorders may it be depression anxiety ADHD OCD whatever I find that they gravitate towards social media because it's easier to clear your thoughts and share your thoughts and opinions on social media where you can edit them and just do them in writing without having to worry about talking to people in person. And it takes away the super personal aspect of sharing your life with someone in person. It's a lot harder to talk about your problems in person than it is just to post them online in writing and either have no one hear them or have some people hear them but having there be a certain level of disconnect from it and I found that for myself and I think a lot of other people with these problems gravitate to social media for these reasons and it's a good thing and it's a bad thing the the best thing about social media from what I found is that it has pushed me to look further into things This is both with mental health and with horses in general. Like without social media and talking to other people and meeting people online, my horse care would be deplorable still. Like I learned so much about like turnout and equine behavior and all this stuff online. And it has really shaped the horse person I've become um, because I've just had so much more access since the internet and social media became a really big thing. And obviously when I was younger, like mental health has gotten stressed so much more the last several years than it was in my childhood and then definitely than it was in my mom's childhood and my grandma's so they never got diagnosed with their issues because they didn't know that it was even a problem and mental health wasn't something that was really stressed and they weren't really diagnosing for that very much back then so it's it's been really helpful in me trying to treat myself and take care of myself because I've read a lot of things like people with the same problems as me sharing their experiences and I've realized how similar my experiences have been. So it forced me to look further into different types of medication and different disorders and to really push for this diagnosis and that's something I'm really appreciative of and I'm really appreciative of everyone who like answered my questions that I posted mainly on Twitter and like shared their experiences. It's been super helpful in me dealing with my personal life and kind of getting it together and shaping my life to be something better than it was because I've just, it's been hard. Like it's been, I've been like running 
up a hill basically when I could have been running on a flat track. Everything I've been doing, I've been making it harder for myself than it needed to be. And I haven't even realized how atypical a lot of my habits and stuff were. Um, so with that said, like ADHD has like, I think he said it was three different branches. There's the inattentive, impulsive, and then they also have hyperactive. So like the facets that I fit into are more inattentive and impulsive. Most of my symptoms are with the inattentiveness, but I do have some impulsivity that is attributed to the disorder. Um, and like in contrast, like my, my brothers haven't gone in to get like diagnosed for this soon, but they probably should. One of them is way more impulsive than me or my other brother. And if he does have ADHD, hopefully the treatment would help with that because impulsivity is a large part of the reason why people end up in addiction crises. And I, I don't know. So like for him, I hope that that would be a contributing factor to helping him get his life on track as well and for me too um yeah so I'm hoping what I did will actually help my family get better too because my mom also has more treatment options should she decide to go off of the medication she's currently on and yeah so me doing this I'm hoping will also help them address it if they have it because like I said there's only really a 20% chance that my brothers wouldn't have inherited it from my mom but um with that said, there's like different tendencies for everyone and yeah. So I guess in the long form, what I'm saying is don't take your mental health lightly. It is as important as physical health and poor mental health will affect your physical health. I'm a really bad teeth grinder because of anxiety and this is something that I haven't been able to properly address because I wasn't getting the right treatment options and the ones I'm on now have really helped with that as well. And I, yeah, so it's, it's just, it's been very helpful and it's changed my ability to be able to do things and my ability to do good work and actually make sure I fit things properly in a day because before time management was really hard for me, especially since I was so tired and would want to have naps. And even if I had like six hours to get things done and I could easily get it done in that time, it would be something that would cause me a ton of stress. And I'd start panicking about having to be somewhere, even though I didn't have to be there for four hours. Like I'd be like, oh, like I barely have any time to do this. And it would be very stressful for me. And I'd just be panicking and it would end up taking me longer for that reason. So anyways, like if any of the stuff I've listed off for my personal symptoms kind of match with stuff you're going through, it doesn't necessarily mean you're dealing with the exact same things as me or that the medications that I'm on will work for you because everyone is different. And there is a fair amount of crossover with mental health symptoms and the disorders that they apply to. So with that said, my recommendation would just be to seek out help if you think you need it. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We wouldn't be ashamed of taking medication for our physical health. So why should it be any different for mental health? Because your brain is you and it's everything that you stand for. Like without your brain and your thoughts and being healthy mentally, you're not yourself. Physical health arguably would matter less than your mental health because if your mental health is not there, it affects everything, including your physical health. So don't be afraid to get help. And even if your parents aren't, like I understand with support systems, it can be hard if you live in a family where they don't kind of believe in mental health disorders and aren't supportive of that. But with that said, 
generally speaking you can go to doctor's appointments without your parents finding out and the doctors are not allowed to release information to your parents without your permission and even if your parents come to the doctor with you you can request to see the doctor alone and you're entitled to do that so don't be afraid to go get that help and don't be afraid to like send your parents links or have like have them to talk to a doctor so they can learn about mental health disorders if it's something that they're confused by because i understand it my mom has always been very supportive and she is more woke in terms of mental health disorders but my dad hasn't been and it's only been lately that he's realized the mental health aspect for addiction and depression and other stuff because when he initially was hearing about like his kids having problems with this he would just be like oh they have no reason to be depressed or with like the addiction problems with my sibling he'd be like well why doesn't he just stop like he's choosing to do it and he just didn't get it and since then he's done more research which is hard for him because for those of you who don't know my dad had a stroke so he has a he has a traumatic brain injury and he has difficulty um, using like computers and receiving information in comparison to other people so it makes things harder for him and it yeah so anyways like he's done a lot of homework and he's learned a lot and it's changed how he responds to these things and it's a very notable change and I'm very very proud of him because it's not easy for someone in his situation to do that so I would hope that other people's parents would be the same but also I understand that everyone has their own struggles and whatnot and again this isn't me telling you that you guys need to be medicated it's just that if you think you need help and you're struggling you should go and get it before it gets to the point where you feel like you can't get out of the hole that you're in and you make decisions that aren't safe for your physical or mental well-being um so yeah like i think that it's very important to address your mental health and it's nothing to be ashamed of so anyways with that said i'm gonna also address the whole george situation um i understand to like some people it could have seemed heartless with like the fact that i kind of after he died i kind of just continued on with my everyday life like i took one day off from work like the day after he died since it was in the evening i took that day off but that day i still had to like go back to the farm he was at to check on banksy and make sure that everything had gone okay with the body pickup and stuff so like it could seem kind of callous the way that I dealt with it because then I was like back to kind of posting my regular stuff and going to work and working with other horses and kind of just carrying on with my life and I just want to address that aspect of it if it seems like I wasn't grieving or that I wasn't sad it's more so to do with the fact that I didn't really have the opportunity to grieve because I need to work to support my other horses so taking a leave of absence isn't smart in my situation because it would affect my happiness and my ability to keep my horses around um, so I went straight back to work and kind of like I didn't I know I haven't like fully addressed the situation grief wise and that it's something I'm still dealing with because I have a tendency to kind of push things aside and kind of ignore that they happened and not face them which also isn't healthy but it's been something that has helped me go back to work and get stuff done because there is a lot of stuff that I need to get done um so yeah everyone grieves differently and while that may seem callous to some people it's kind of just what I needed to do in my situation 
and I don't really regret that. Um, but keeping busy has also helped me immensely with feeling better and not just dwelling on the sadness. So it's been good in that regard. And then obviously like with getting the necropsy and stuff, um, I think like having some form of answer was nice, but since the necropsy came back kind of inconclusive, like I wanted it to be super conclusive. Like this is what happened. This is why he was neurologic. This is the reason. And it didn't really come back with that. Um, it did come back with damage to the spinal cord that was consistent with EPM, but when they tested him for the EPM protozoa, it tested negative. Um, with that said, that could be due to the fact that we were treating him with Marquis and it could have killed the, the protozoa, or they said it could be because he has a parasite that they can't test for, um, that acts like EPM. But at the end of the day, like the, it did help me with the fact that like, euthanizing him was the right choice because with the damage he had to his spinal cord the treatment wouldn't have reversed the current damage and it was so severe that there was just no chance of him living a normal life at that point um but there is like a certain level of guilt because I do feel if it was EPM I feel pretty awful about the fact that like I could have in theory could have avoided him picking it up um, and if he picked it up in Kentucky, there's a level of guilt that I feel like, oh, if I hadn't taken him to Kentucky, he might still be alive. And yeah, just like little things, even like the day that he died, like I was there during the day, obviously, like I was checking on him. I was there a few hours before we had to euthanize him and he was like stable. Like his condition wasn't changing. He still looked wonky and obviously very neurologic, but he was stable in that his condition was staying the same for several days. So I was like happy to see him. I said hi to him and Banksy briefly, but I was busy. So I left and I never gave him a treat <laughs> and I feel so guilty about that. It's, I know it's such a stupid thing, but I feel so guilty that I never like got to say a proper goodbye before we had to make the decision to euthanize him and it's such a stupid thing because like I spent every day in the weeks past giving him whatever he wanted and giving him scratches and feeding him treats but when we started treating him with the marquee there was there was the hope that um obviously that I would treat the problem so I was treating it like we were treating the issue and I stopped treating him like he was dying and I feel so guilty for the fact that I never freaking gave him a cookie that last day because he deserved one. But yeah, it's a stupid thing, I know, but I feel awful about it and it sucks. Like there's a lot of things that I do wish that could have been done differently, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. And in the necropsy, he did have other problems that would have posed a problem for his future soundness and just abil ability to be well. And at the end of the day, we don't fully understand why he had all the problems that he did. So it sucks. Like, I, I really tried to save that horse. <laughs> and yeah, it's been hard because obviously, like, I have all my own guilt related to that, which I've already shared with you. But also that on top of having people online saying that I was being selfish and making him suffer. And it was like going on like excessively long that people were saying this like it was weeks and it's like 
even without them saying that, like, obviously there's a level of guilt because I'm the one caring for this horse and I didn't stop him from getting sick. So without people even trying to make me feel guilty, I already freaking feel guilty. And to have people trying to make the situation worse really sucked. But with that said, the positive support was overwhelming and people have just been so kind and generous with like doing art of him, like just just being so generous and doing things to try to alleviate the stress and pain that the situation caused and it has been so so overwhelming and it has really shown like the best of the horse world but it has also shown like the worst of the online horse world um but it was overwhelmingly positive and kind that people were and i'm really really appreciative of that and it's just unfortunate that we couldn't even make him pasture sound in the long run. Um, and it's something that I'm just, I'll hopefully learn from this and make it so that this never happens to any of my other horses again. Um, the hardest thing about this whole situation to me was his age. Like he didn't even make it to his fifth birthday. Um, and that's really hard for me because if he was a little bit older at least it's slightly more justifiable if they're like in their teens and something like this happens to them but to have it happen to such a young horse is just awful so yeah that part has been really hard to cope with and now obviously there's a sense of paranoia towards my other horses because I've already like with my anxiety problems and like obsessive tendencies I obsess about bad things happening to the people and animals I love all the time and this has kind of just added to that. Um, but with that said, I'm just going to do what I can to keep them as safe as possible and learn from this situation to try to make sure that it never happens again. So I don't really know if I have like any advice on how to deal with the grief, considering how I deal with it is a little unorthodox and probably not the most healthy thing to just ignore it and leave it in the back seat without fully addressing it. So I don't advise other people to do that. But I guess the only solace we can really take in loss is that as much as it hurts to lose them, life would be so empty without animals in it and the people you love in it. So the grief, <coughs> the grief is worth all of the good times that you had and the happiness they brought you in their life and I personally would not trade not having animals in my life just to avoid the grief of losing them it's worth the happiness that they bring me and as much as it sucks to lose one this prematurely it was still worth having him in my life and he taught me a lot and I like to think that I taught him a lot and that he had an important role in my life that that just didn't get to come to fruition for longer. <coughs> so yeah, as it stands, I'm just kind of moving past this in my own way. I feel really fortunate to have Pogo, George's half-sibling, because um, not that many people are lucky enough to have that. <coughs> And I was initially planning on selling him in the fall or winter, and I didn't. 
and I'm glad because I think that's the way it was supposed to happen. And like, I've had a few people ask. I don't really think that. <coughs> Sorry for all the coughing. I don't really think that I'm gonna get like another horse anytime soon. But with that said, since my job has to do with horse sales and training, like, I don't know what will come in or like what opportunities will be offered. But like, anything I do get is gonna be a sales project. I'm not looking to add to my personal horses. And for me, I don't think I'm going to get a thoroughbred off the track again for a little while. <coughs> unless I get them like offered to me for free or something. I think the route I'm going to go when I do decide to get another sales project is going to go get more ponies from the auction. Um, and stop them from shipping to slaughter because I've heard that there's lots that are getting dropped off at the auctions. So that's probably going to be what I decide to do in the future. Um, when that will happen, I don't know. Because obviously, like, dealing with George's issues has been extremely expensive. Like, in the span of, like, the little over a year that I had him, we had a lot of vet bills. And contrary to what some people think, <coughs> I paid for the vast majority of them myself. And as someone that is supporting myself and has my own business, that is quite the undertaking. So I'm trying to catch up from that, um, which may take me a little while. So I don't think I should add any more horses until I feel like I'm a little more caught up on life. And yeah, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do moving forward is catch up with all the extra money that I had to throw into trying to treat him in the last month and a half as well as like the prior times throughout the year um yeah so that's kind of my main focus right now and I've been working a lot to try to deal with that and I'm gonna try to start putting out more content on YouTube because obviously that does help with my income as well but it's like not a huge income especially when I'm not posting very often so yeah, so that's kind of my plan going forward, and we'll just kind of see how it goes, <clears throat> because I took quite a loss with George, so I'm trying to catch up from that, and obviously, like, I like I don't mean to sound heartless, obviously the loss was also emotional, but the financial loss was pretty significant, um, because, like, obviously we could never insure him, because they have to have a certain amount of time since they're, like, last surgery or problem before you can insure them, and he never had that, so it kind of screwed me over with the vet bills, as well as, like, the loss of use from their debt, um, <coughs> and as, like, a businesswoman, that's always something to consider, because whether, like, no matter how you feel about a horse, at the end of the day, they are still an asset, and they are worth money, and losing that asset is a loss, as well as all the good bills, but, yeah, I'm just happy that, that we tried to save him, and that I can, can't, like, can't say I didn't try, and at the end of the day, like, I'm still glad that we had him in my life, even if it's made things a little more difficult for the time being, but he was a really great horse, and I'm really thankful that he came into my life, and I'm really sad about the loss of him, but 
it is what it is. And I'm just going to try to move past that and learn from it and adjust. I'm looping back to my previous conversation regarding mental health because I have no organizational skills. But um, one of the things that I have gotten like really bad with is like responding to messages and stuff. Um, so don't take it personally if you message me and I like read it and don't answer or if we're talking and then I just stop answering because I do it to everybody, like even my friends, my boyfriend, my mom, like everyone. Like it's so it's not specific to anyone on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. It's like the fact that I have this thing where if I don't answer within a certain amount of time, I just like panic and don't answer after that because it's been too long. And then also like on top of that, just like the amount of messages I get is pretty overwhelming. So sometimes I just ignore them as a coping mechanism which again isn't like the nicest thing to do and I'm aware of that so I'm gonna work on that um but yeah so if I've done this to you do not take it personally because I literally do it to everyone like it's not a, it's not specific to you whatsoever so yeah just that little thing and then like this is kind of just more like a conversation rather than like a cohesive podcast topic like I just wanted to talk about some of this because I thought it was important and it's relevant in my life today and yeah it's easier to do it on a podcast than in a youtube video and stuff because no one can comment mean things on here so it's perfect anyways um i hope this kind of helped if and or at least like made you feel heard if you're going through any similar struggles um because, yeah, like, I know, like, I just wish that I knew a lot sooner, and, yeah, but, like, I guess better late than never, um, and I'll keep you guys posted with how the treatment works for me, because I do know that some medications can stop working after a little while, so we'll see. Hopefully it works, because I have way more energy. It's really something else. If this is how regular people feel every day, they are so lucky. Um, so anyways, yeah, thank you for listening. And then the next podcast will probably be more on a specific topic and more horse related. But I think people can handle the occasional not horse related post when it's something about, eh, I can't talk, when it's about something as important as mental health. So with that said, I hope that if you listen to this whole hot mess of discussion, good for you. You deserve a gold star. And thank you for listening.